listening to audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit twinvillageschurch.org. And we will be in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. And that entire passage is uh, your memory verse for this week. If you're doing the memory verses, I want to encourage you to memorize Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. If you remember from last week, we talked about God's promise of rest and how that promise is rooted in creation and that promise still stands to this day. And it requires that we have faith and we have obedience um, with that faith and that God's word plays a critical role in unearthing the sin in our lives, the hard-heartedness in our lives and our tendency to be a people that does not believe. And now the author of Hebrews is going to now, there's a transition that takes place um, in, this, in these verses, he's going to kind of wrap up to a degree, a talk about the supremacy of Jesus, and he's going to transition into a conversation about the priesthood of Jesus. And that concept of that priesthood is going to go on basically for the next five chapters, but he's going to kind of whet our appetite a little bit with this conversation, this discussion about the priesthood of Jesus. The author of Hebrews has told us that Jesus is is superior. He stands supreme over his creation. He's greater than angels. He's the founder of our salvation. He's greater than Moses. And that the rest that we all long for, that all people long for, could only be found in Jesus and his gospel. And now he's going to tell us that he is the great high priest. And he's going to give two exhortations in this passage. Number one, let us hold fast our confidence. And number two, let us, let us hold fast our confession, excuse me. Number two, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. You remember that the author of Hebrews is writing to a people that was likely in doubt. And they were questioning God. They were questioning their salvation. They were wavering, they were experiencing persecution, and they were suffering for their beliefs. And so they were tempted, perhaps, to to break their commitment to their faith, to break their commitment to, to Jesus because of the suffering and trials they were experiencing. They were wavering. And so the author of Hebrews is going to tell them these words. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of needs. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be in your words. Lord, to gather here. Lord, I was reminded this week in so many different ways about the blessings in my life, the way that you have been faithful to me and blessed me beyond measure. But I was reminded this week that you are a God who communicates. When you love your children and you speak to your children. 
So I pray that this morning we would hear from you. Lord, that our hearts would be open, our minds would be open, our ears would be open to hear your word and what your word has to say about Jesus. Our great high priest, the one whom we should hold fast to, the one whom we should draw near to. Because it's there that we find grace, it's there that we find mercy. So it's my prayer that your word would do a work in our hearts, that our hearts would be encouraged and transformed because of our time here this morning, and I pray this all in your name, amen. So the author starts out with this this ringing statement of, of exhortation. He's urging his people, he's urging the readers of this letter to hold fast to their confession. Now, why are they to hold fast to their confession? Well, because they have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. And because of that, they're to hold fast to their confession. Now, the author says that he is the great high priest, and so by doing that, he's signaling that Jesus stands superior over any other high priest that ever served in the temple. And so to understand what the author is saying, we need to take a few minutes to look at the role of the high priest. Because we can have many different views on what a high priest is and what he may do, what he may look like even. But here's what a high priest did. In the Old Testament, a high priest was a man who was a descendant of Aaron. And he would serve in that role of high priest. Most often, he would serve for life. And this man had a a special degree of holiness that was required of him. In fact, the sin of the high priest would bring guilt and, and have ramifications on the entire nation of Israel, of all the people. So it was a large task. It was a very high calling that the high priest would have. He oversaw the worship in the temple He was the only person with direct access to God's. In fact, he was the main representative between God and his people, God and the nation of of Israel. And once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies. He would enter into the presence of God's. Often when he did this, he would have bells attached to him. He may have a rope around his leg. Because maybe just perhaps God would strike him dead. After all, he's entering into the presence of God. And so the bells would serve as a way for the people to hear him, though he's still still moving. If you stop hearing bells... Right, there are going to be some men who are going to tug on that rope and drag him out of the Holy of Holies. And he was there to, to sprinkle blood on the mercy seat, which was to symbolically make payment for all the sins of all the people. 
And you only stay long enough to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. And then he would leave. This was a, an annual event, the Day of Atonement. They celebrated the Day of Atonement each and every year. And so his job, he just knew that on that day, this is what he was going to be called to do. That is what a high priest did. But Jesus, the author tells us, is a great high priest, our great high priest. And so let's compare the two to have an understanding of the supremacy of Jesus. Remember, the high priest, he was a descendant of Abraham. Well, the author tells us that Jesus is the son of God. The high priest would serve a lifetime in that role, in that function as a high priest. Jesus serves eternally. The high priest had a special degree of holiness that was required of him. Jesus was sinless. The sin of the high priest would bring guilt and condemnation on the nation, on the people. The sinlessness of Jesus brings life and brings salvation. The high priest oversaw the worship in the temple. Jesus is the object of our worship. The high priest was the only one who had direct access to God. Jesus is the only one who grants us access to God. The high priest was the main representative between God and the nation. Jesus is our intercessor between God and ourselves as believers. Once a year, there was the Day of Atonement. But with Jesus, it was a once-for-all final sacrifice. He was not worried about being struck dead by God the Father. He willingly gave up his life. He shed his own blood to secure final payment for sin. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father, the ultimate holy of holies. It's not an annual event for Jesus. His job is complete. God accepted his payments and exalted him to the right hand of the Father. And he perfectly intercedes on our behalf. Jesus stands supreme over the priesthood of Israel. He is our great high priest. He passed through the heavens. On his way to this earth, to come in human form and to live in this world, to experience the trials and temptations, to give glory to God and to point people to God. And he passed back through the heavens in his exaltation as he sits at the right hand of God the Father. So Jesus, our great high priest, gives us open access to God. 
He doesn't stand between us and God. He takes us to him. Jesus obliterated all the moral and ritualistic obstacles that prevented entrance into God's presence. It is because of Jesus that we have access to God. He paved the way and he invites us to join him in God's presence. Jesus was the perfect, great, high priest. And since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. The author of Hebrews is urging his people to to hold fast to Jesus, to be committed to Jesus. Again, it's this call for for endurance and and for perseverance. Yes, you can look and see the persecution and the trials and the suffering. Hold fast to Jesus. He is, must be, your confession. You need to have just an open, unashamed, unabashed commitment and allegiance to Jesus. He is your great high priest. You have an individual responsibility. You have a a corporate responsibility in all of this. And you're to encourage one another in all of this. And it's not just what you believe, but it's how you live. It's your lifestyle. And so it's almost like the author of Hebrews is telling the people that they're to grow in Christ, love like Christ, and live for Christ. That's that that allegiance that we must have. That's holding fast to our confession. What gets you through the hard times, the suffering, the doubts, the hard-heartedness, those seasons of unbelief, by holding on to Jesus. Jesus, who, who did everything to secure your salvation. Jesus, who stands supreme over his creation. Nothing happens that's not outside his control. That has to be the song that just pierces through your soul. We have to own this. Hold fast our confession. And sometimes that means, right, as we live our lives and as we engage with people, as we engage with one another, right, sometimes it means to, we're going to have to confess him in perhaps unfriendly situations, But it's in those times that I believe that confession and that holding fast is what your soul needs. Because that's where your hope lies. That's all that you have. It's Christ. So the author is saying, since we have this great high priest who's passed through the heavens, it's Jesus, the Son of God, we must hold fast to our confession. 
Because right? we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Our perfect great high priest sympathizes with our weaknesses. He knows what it means to be tempted. He experienced temptation himself to such a degree that he, he, he can understand life in this world and life on this earth, but it drives him to care deeply for us and to relate to us. Remember, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. He knows. He knows. And remember back in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12, the author quotes Psalm, and it says, I will tell your name to my, to my brothers. Right? And he attributes that psalm to, to Jesus. So we are the brothers and sisters of Christ, and he knows what it means. He was fully God, yes, but he was also fully human. Right? And he lived on this earth. He had a human body. He had a human mind. He had a human soul. With all of its limitations and with all of its weaknesses, and so there was not an area in Jesus' life that was excluded from temptation. He knew it, and he knew it well, so he can sympathize with us in our weaknesses. Right? But to be our, our perfect great high priest, right, that, that we weak sinners desperately need... He had to feel that temptation. There was nothing in his personal life that was excluded. He was driven out into the wilderness and was tempted for 40 days. You look at the life and you look at the ministry of Jesus and all of his interactions with the people and with the religious leaders of the day, he felt the persecution, he felt the temptations. And he responded perfectly. And that's where we need to land here for a few minutes. Is that he responded perfectly. He was tempted to sin. He was tempted to doubt. He was tempted to question. He was tempted to wander. And how a person responds to temptation defines their character. And Jesus responded perfectly. He's yet without sin. Now, Jesus didn't face the temptations that women face, right? Jesus didn't face the temptations that a married couple would face. Jesus didn't face the temptations that the elderly would face, Right? Jesus doesn't face the temptations that we face when it comes to the internet, when it comes to technology, when it comes to social media. But, although the tools 
of temptation, temptation may have changed over the years, the essential nature and the root sin remains unchanged. Anger, hatred, murder, jealousy, greed, dishonesty, lust, pride, All of those temptations are not unique and are not uncommon to Jesus. He knows them. He lived in them. But he responded perfectly to them. Jesus knows the full weight of anger, that temptation to be angry, the temptation to hate and to murder and to be jealous and to be greedy and to be dishonest, to lust and to be prideful. He knows the weight of it. He knows the depth of it. He knows the pain of those temptations like nobody else can ever possibly know because he never sinned. He never gave in to the temptation. So he can identify with us in our weakness because he knows Right, But for the grace of God, we will give in. He never did. In the book Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis puts it this way. A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you will find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You will find out the strength of the wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They've lived a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is the only man who knows the full, to the full, what temptation means. It's perfect, sinless. He knows the full weight of temptation. He knows us in our weaknesses, and he can sympathize with us, because he was tempted in every way, but yet without sin. He is our perfect, sinless, high priest. He was holy. He was perfect. And because of that, he secured our salvation. He, he, he can sympathize with us in our weakness. He, can have, he has compassion on us. He, he, he helps us. He intercedes for us. He's there for us 
because he shared in the, one of the most important aspects of what it means to be human, and that's temptation. And he did it perfectly. So because Jesus is our perfect great high priest, because Jesus never sinned, because of his perfection, the author of Hebrews exhorts his people and says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Because it's there that we receive mercy. It is there that we find grace to help in our times of needs. We don't have to cower on our way to the throne of grace. We can be confident on our way to the throne of grace, not because of what we've done, because of what Christ has done. He's our perfect, sinless, great high priest. He is the one who gives us access to that throne. So we can have confidence. That word oftentimes is used to describe prayer as well. And so it's this idea of just being openly honest and being painfully honest with, with Jesus and with God as, as we pray, with reverence. Right? But we can have a confidence when we approach God in prayer because we know, number one, that he's going to hear us. And number two, that he's going to respond because of Christ. So we can come to God without hesitation. We can come to him without tentativeness. We can pour out our hearts to him because it is the throne of grace. And we must draw near to that throne of grace. That must be a, just a, a regular part of our Christian life. And we, we can do this because of what Jesus has done for us. He has restored our relationship back to God the Father. He has paid our sin debt. He has paved the way and he's calling us to join him at this throne of grace. And we can do this prayerfully, worshipfully, and knowing that, that God has the capacity to, to, to help. Right? So it's, it's rooted in, in, in the supremacy of Jesus and who he is. God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs." It's the power, it's the authority of God that is clearly seen in Jesus. Because Jesus is God's final and finest word to the people, to his creation. 
So because of Jesus, God's people, believers, can enter into his presence on a continual basis with confidence, not once a year. Because of Jesus, God's throne of judgment has become a throne of grace. And because of the throne of grace, mercy is received and grace is found. God perfectly provides for his children because of Jesus. You get mercy for past failures. You get mercy with those seasons of doubt and when you waver in your faith. You find grace at this throne because it strengthens your struggling hearts. It meets you with your present need. It's going to be there for those future needs that you are going to have. It's God's perfect provision. Jesus, our perfect great high priest, is the perfect provision that we need for forgiveness and for strength during seasons of temptation. Some who first heard this letter probably had given in to unbelief. And needed forgiveness, while others were wavering, teetering, questioning, doubting. And the author of Hebrews is saying, as believers with confidence, we can draw near to the throne of grace. There's mercy there, and there's grace there because of Christ, because of Jesus, the Son of God, and what he has done. He is our great high priest. And as much as it's real for the people, was real for the people back in the author of Hebrews in that day, it is real and true and stands for us today. Some of you may be here who have succumbed to unbelief, who have given into it, and who need forgiveness. There's mercy. There's some of you sitting in here who may or be listening online who are doubting, who are, who are wavering, and who are, are questioning. There's grace. There's perfect provision for you in Christ. Jeremiah says in Lamentations chapter 3 that God's mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. James tells us that God gives more grace. He perfectly provides for his people. So the author of Hebrews is telling us that Jesus' life is just marked by perfection, 
in his priesthood, in his person, sinless person, and in his provision. Jesus, as our great high priest, gives us open access to God. He doesn't stand between us. He takes us to him. Jesus has passed through the heavens. He's paved the way. And because of Jesus, we have free access to God so we can draw near with confidence. So when we talk about holding firm to our faith or holding, holding fast to our confession, the question must be asked, is, is our faith God-centered or is our faith self-centered or, or, or man-centered? I will tell you that perseverance depends on your relationship with Jesus who is our ultimate example of perseverance, who is a beautiful example and picture of of faith and stability. He is our hope and he is our help. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane sweating drops of blood, knowing what was before him. And said, if this cup can be passed from me, let it pass. But he follows that up with not your will, but not my will, but your will. And he perfectly submitted himself to the Father. He is our hope and he is our help. So the trials and the struggles and the challenges and the temptations that we experience in this world, right, they are real. They are threatening. And I chose that word very carefully, right? They're threatening to us. Because in the midst of those, we can be prone to, to, to doubt we can be prone to wander. We can be prone to, to unbelief. We must hold fast our confession. We must cling to Christ and who he is and what he has done for us. And we must draw near to him. You must draw near to that throne of grace. Prayer is our primary means of communication to God. But we're not prone to draw near. We're prone to wander. We're prone to, we're prone to drift. We're prone to not communicate. But God has spoken to us by his Son, his final and finest communication to us, his word to us. Jesus, as our perfect and great high priest, invites us 
to be with him at the throne of grace. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for your words. Lord, I thank you for the challenges of your word, but I thank you, Lord, for just the encouragement of your words. Lord, it's your word that helps keep us on the straight and narrow. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a people that holds fast to Jesus, holds fast to our confession, that we would be a people who with confidence draws near to the throne of grace because we know that it is at that throne of grace, your throne of grace, that you provide for us what we need. Your mercies are new every morning and you give us more grace. Lord, and all of this is because of Jesus. Our perfect great high priest who lived a perfect sinless life. And provides for us perfectly. But I pray that you would help us to hold fast to that confession, Lord, that we would draw near to your throne. Lord, that we would encourage one another to hold fast to that confession, and we would encourage one another to draw near to that throne of grace. Lord, but then as we live our lives, as we go about our lives, Lord, and we see the pain and the suffering and the trials that others are going through, that we would introduce them perhaps for the first time to Jesus. As he is the only one that can bring rest, he's the only one that is going to be able to perfectly provide for them and give them what they truly, truly need. Lord, and I pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others. And for more information about Twin Villages Church, visit twinvillageschurch.org. Soli Deo Gloria.